0: He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. So we have, over the last couple of weeks, been going through, kind of going through Ezra and into Nehemiah today today. A story of the return of God's people to, uh, to their country to rebuild their nation and rebuild uh, the temple of God. And uh, we've kind of been using that as a way of saying, if, if we've gone into this year at all saying to ourselves, man, I wish I would, uh, I, I'd get closer to God. Or how how do I restore and renew uh, a relationship with God? How do I uh, uh, get in a spot where I can say, okay, I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm growing in my faith? And we've used Ezra and Nehemiah to kind of look. At ways in which we might approach that. And we started off by saying, whatever happens, we have to make sure the primary foundation is Jesus Christ. As the people of God were looking to build the foundation of the temple, they found that that foundation was so important for their worship and so too for our worship. Um, the foundation of Jesus Christ is central. And then last week, we found ourselves recognizing that they also faced adversity they also face challenges, and so also uh, we will face as well in our walk of faith uh, adversity and challenge along the way, but our God is faithful, and He is with us in that. So today I want to read for you from uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, and uh, we're going to continue the story. Now this story picks up where uh, they have uh, built up the wall, and they have uh, prepared uh, their place for worship, and now all the people are gathered together. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1-12. through 12. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel being settled in their towns, all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. Beside him stood Mattathiah, Shammah, Ananiah, uh, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. Padiah, Mishael, uh, Mechaljah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. When he opened it, all the people stood up. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads, worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, uh, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kaleida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanah, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portion of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Well, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They have gathered together at the start of this, uh, all at the water gate. This is uh, this is the gate that would be the common meeting place for them. This is where they're going to go to get uh, the necessary water that they need to take back to their homes, refill uh, their jars, their cisterns, whatever, to make sure that they could carry on with their day. This is, this is the place in town where they're going to gather together. It's a place for water. It's a place for life. and uh, And they will find that in this gathering place, life was found and celebrated here in ways that are Far more important than just water. Uh, I, the water gate is mentioned numerous times at the beginning of this passage, and, and so it makes me think okay, there's something to be uh, paid attention to here that this isn't just, okay, here's a location to situate it, but it is saying this is, this is where they go for life, and yet nonetheless, what they find is when they come to this. Watergate, where Ezra is reading they 're going to find that he is going to read for them indeed the ho- their hope and their promise for where true life comes from. It, it kind of reminds me of the Gospel of John. I, I alluded to this story a little bit last week when I gave a little bit of the history of of why they had conflict with Samaritans when Jesus meets at a well where a Samaritan woman goes to draw water. And in that conversation where she thinks, I'm just providing water for myself, my family, my livestock, whatever. I'm just getting the sustenance I need. She learns that at this place where we get water, there's far more to receive for life sustenance than just water. Or to borrow from the words of Jesus in the desert. We do not just live on bread alone, but from everything that comes from the mouth of God. And so uh, they they meet at the water gate, and there they have read for them the law, and Ezra is sharing with them how God wants to restore them and God wants to direct their lives. And so they read from the law, it says, from morning until midday. That would be like if I came up here to read scripture or for one of the scripture lessons instead of... Uh, uh, reading most of 1 Corinthians 12, I said, let's start at Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we're going all the way through thir- chapter 34. Like, like, they just read the law. And then it says afterwards that then they gave interpretation to the law. So then the preaching started. So something tells me that they missed the football game. And so, so they, but they but they hear this reading... And they, and they see Ezra there standing out at the wooden platform, sharing with him the law. And he's surrounded. He's got six people on his right and seven people on his left. And it names them. And I found myself this weekend spending way more attention, paying more, way more attention to the names than I probably needed to. But normally when I read them, I just skip over them. And I just say them as fast as I can so it sounds like I'm saying them right and I know how to pronounce them. But uh, what I found as I looked in this, as as I thought about this, is everyone on his right, these are the people who uh, earlier uh, in Ezra and in the book of Nehemiah, these were people who were involved with the worship, involved with the temple. They were Levites and they were people helping to engage the people in worship. They are those who helped The people of God draw near to God and know who He is. Some of the names are names that sound an awful lot, like they're names for peace and for Savior. The supporters on his left, as he reads uh, from the law, are those who, if you look back at the kinds of things that they did, they were the ones who were in the thick of things. They were in the rebuilding work. They were the people who were uh, uh, guarding the gates against the adversaries, or they were the people in charge of various parts of construction. They were the ones who oversaw the building of the temple, guarding those entrances, and they were the people who put in the work. And we need both kinds of people in our life, don't we? Those who will point us in the right direction, and those who will travel with us along the way. And so we need people who, when things get ugly and things get muddy, say, hey, you know what? I'll put on the boots with you and walk with you. Let's do this together. And we need also those people who say, hey, things are getting hard, I think I know where I'm going, but we might need a professional to come in here and really point us to what the end looks like. And so Ezra is surrounded by two different groups of people, those who who can point them in the right direction to to the God whom they worship, and those who are saying, we know how to get things done, and we're going to help make sure that we are faithful together. This is so necessary in the building up of our faith, to be surrounded by people who can point us to God and surrounded by people who say, and while we're trying to figure this out, let's figure this out together. This is why we love our friends and our church. This is why we bring our friends to church. Like, like, like inviting people to worship with us is, is not merely a church growth strategy or something like that. Truly, the impetus is this. We say to our friends, you know, I've been traveling life with you. I see who you are. I know what you're about. I know what your passions. is. I know what you care about. And I'm with you. But can I tell you what's made a lasting impact in my life? It's this Jesus. Can I tell you who I want to be with, with me in the most important areas of my life? Well, it's you and, and, and this God who is important to me. I, I, I would like you to meet. I would like you to join me. Evangelism is about inviting the most important people in our life to meet the most important God. There's a name in this list that kind of sticks out to me as well. It's the name Mishael. Uh, if, if you guys remember the story from your Sunday school classes. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. You guys remember that story? If you, if, uh, in that story, these are, these are the people of God having just gone into exile in Babylon. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not their original names. You see, they went, when they went into exile, and they passed through Babylon's equivalent of Ellis Island, they were saying their names, hey, this is who I am. They are like, well, that doesn't sound right. And they changed the spelling on them. And they changed their names. And so Mishael became Meshach. So like the ending, A-L became Ak, or whatever it is. I'm sorry I'm not as fluent in Babylonian as I, as I should be, perhaps. But but they changed the ending. They changed, it. okay, well, we're going to make this sound right to us. And so each of their names got changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so when they went through Babylonian immigration, their names were adjusted. But Mishael was Meshach, and Mishael is standing next to Ezra. So either... This is an incredibly elderly Michel. He'd be in his 90s. Or it's a descendant named after him for what he has done because of what Michel accomplished. And the popular story surrounding them, of course, is the story of when the king of Babylon said, worship me and I'm going to set up this image and you're going you're to worship that when, when we tell you to. And they said, no, not a chance. We worship one God and one God only. He stoked up the fires of the furnace, hot enough to burn those around them and threw them in. And the story is that when they were thrown in, the, f- the fires did not burn them. In fact, when the king looked in and said, why aren't they burning? He looked in there and saw what looked like to be a son of God in there with them. Mishael, the one who went through the fire. We want people and need people in our lives who will go through the fires with us. Not just to burn up with us. Oh, we're in this together. We're going down. But to see us through. To see us through the fires and perhaps even to direct us to the Son of God who is always found among us. The one who in John 4 said to be living water by which indeed We come and receive life, and we are brought to our Heavenly Father. And so Ezra, surrounded by these people, opens from the book, and he reads from it. And he blesses the people, and it says, and they recite, Amen, Amen. Now, Amen is a saying that we hear a lot in church. It's more, of course, than just the closing of a prayer. It means, let it be known, so shall it be. Let it be as you have said. If, if you've spent a lot of time reading how Jesus opens up some of his stories in the New Testament, it'll say something like, it depends on the translation, but very truly I say to you, or verily, verily, in the King James. It means, but like in the Greek it is, amen, amen. And then on. And so the translator said, very truly, so shall it be, let it be known. That is what amen means. And so when they recite amen, amen, it's their way of saying, yeah, we agree. We believe this. We know this. Funny story about that. So when I was in high school, uh, uh, the church uh, I grew up in, the amens were a lot freer. Uh, from the congregation. In fact, sometimes the sermons sound a little bit like a call and response. <laughs> the pastor would say something and someone would be in agreement with it. and it sounded awesome and they'd say, amen. And, uh, and then, oh, that just spurred the preacher on more and he'd get going, he'd get amped up and amen and it'd just go back and forth. It was, it was wonderful. Um, when I was in college, of course, I, I still remembered that and um, uh, uh, I ended up serving in a Lutheran church and a Lutheran church has a completely different feel than that church I had grown up in. But there is this one Sunday where the pastor, who, who normally was kind of dry, uh, to tell you the truth, but like, he was just hitting all the right notes, and I was just really just hearing him. And I was like, yes, and he said something, and I just went, amen, amen. And everyone in the church, their heads just turned. And he paused and he froze like, did someone just interrupt me? (laughs) Like like it was like, like, what's happening here? And uh, But uh, I was just trying to say, yeah, let it be. What you've said is the truth. It resonates with me. I I, I believe with you. I'm following. I'm tracking with you. Yes, keep going. Um, But I learned that 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 was just a different tradition. And uh, that's okay. And, And it's kind of funny, like landing here, Uh, I love this church, and one of the things I've, of course, have have, have learned, and you see this most clearly a lot of times in our scripture readings is, we also come from all kinds of different backgrounds, and we found ourselves saying, hey, God has put me here for this season, this time, and this is where uh, God has really been speaking to us, and we've been found where we can serve, but uh, we all come from different backgrounds. And so sometimes, and I learned this very early on when I first came here, like after the reading of scripture, a lot of times we're like, well, what are we supposed to say? What is someone else saying? Well, what are we supposed to do? And, um, and so sometimes we'll hear amen. Sometimes, and most often it's with this, with this phrase, because in traditions this is, if someone closes the reading of Scripture and wants to indicate that they're done, indicate that the word that they have just read was not their own, but came from the Bible, they'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Or just maybe the word of the Lord. And, uh, and the response from most church traditions after hearing the word of the Lord, or this is the word of the Lord, is thanks be to God. And so sometimes that is, our, that is our refrain. And sometimes the person reading doesn't say that. And that's okay because, you know, they come from a tradition where perhaps we close with that phrase. The Church of the Nazarene doesn't have a, uh, doesn't have a, a, a liturgy that says what you have to say after you read Scripture. And so sometimes someone will read and say, All right, I'm done. Or they'll say amen, and someone else will say back amen. And and, and it makes me kind of chuckle inside when I I see, like, uh, what are we doing? In fact, one time Howard asked me, he's not here today, but he asked me, uh, Pastor Tim, what are we supposed to say after they read Scripture? (laughs) What what am I supposed to say if I have read Scripture? What are we supposed to do? And I said, well, uh, you can say thanks be to God, or you can say amen, and it's okay. And I can't help but think in this story. The people of God who have been in exile, and they've been scattered. And they're finally uh, getting together. And they haven't had a temple to worship in in 70 years. And they finally get back and they hear the reading of Scripture. And they're also going, wait a minute, what do we say here? And they're finding their voice again. And they're saying, amen. Yes, this is who we are. And they're saying, amen, let it be. And they're starting to find their voice in worship. And so when it says that they say the amen, I think, I think in some ways, yes, they are, they are worshiping. But I can't help but think as they say this together, they're finding who they are. And they're starting to realize again, we get to be the people of God called to be the people of God again. And they start to weep and they start to mourn because they realize they haven't been able to say the amen for a long time. They haven't been able to gather for worship. And so they're absolutely mourning this. They're mourning because they realize that they had been unfaithful to God and turned away from Him, and that, and in large part, according to the prophets, is why they went into exile in the first place. They're mourning, and they're weeping because they recognize where they've sinned in the past, and they've fallen short of the glory of God, and they're like, we don't deserve this, and so they're weeping. Uh, they're weeping because uh, th- their history seems to suggest to them that, you know, we deserve to be punish- punished. We deserve this exile. We deserve this hard time. And now we have this. And, and, and what's going on here? And, and finally, Ezra says, no, stop weeping. We're celebrating today. We're celebrating the day of the Lord because our God, when He guides us and He leads us, He doesn't just look at our past. He doesn't just look at the mistakes made or, or, the, or a history that, that, that sometimes we wish would be forgotten. Well, God in His forgiveness is willing to forget that and help us to move on. I, I think in the early days of my faith, this was one of the most important Lessons God communicated to me. And I don't know if it was because I was a child. You know, part of childhood is, you know, you're learning from adults around you how you're supposed to live. And a lot of times, you know, they just tell you, hey, this is what you need to do. But a lot of my early faith was like just framed in this is what I'm supposed to do. And I would find myself in my prayers often thinking, oh man, where did I not do what I was supposed to do? And constantly revisiting those themes. And as when... One time in prayer, I, I still remember so clearly God just saying to me, but, but Tim, do you love me? Tim, do, can, can I have your heart? When, when God asked me that, and I realized that, yeah, I'm still going to try to be faithful to Him, but God isn't just inviting me to beat myself up about where I've messed up, but to move forward each day in a desire to serve the God who loves me and has called me to reciprocate that love. That's what God wants. That's why Ezra is able to say and suggest that we would find joy in the Lord. That, that the joy in the Lord is our strength. It is because of our love for God. Not to live in fear of where we've messed up, or not to live in fear of what God might do next time I mess up, but, but to live forward in the promise of a God who loves and directs and cares for us that we want to live in that love. And that's what brings the people joy. That's why he can say the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not a forced joy. It's not a joy that's like, oh, well, things were hard, but now we just got to kind of cheer up or something like that. No, it's, it's a joy that arises out of the conviction that our God is always moving with us through the fires and directing us to a better place, a more faithful place in our life. And this, I think, is key to having a a faith that is growing in God, of moving forward in this year of saying, okay, how do I hear more from God is living in the love of God and living out of love for God and for those whom he puts in our life. It is finding joy in the one who we know loves us, learning to love and live in the love of God. And with that, they are able to celebrate together. It is my hope and it's my prayer as, as we continue to worship together, as we continue in various avenues, whether it's through small groups, whether it's through reading the selection of scriptures you get every week, whether it's through some other means by which we said, okay, I'm, I'm going to attend to the matters of God, that we would find ourselves saying, I'm not just trying to say, say, okay, I'm measuring up or okay, I'm making sure I just do what I think needs to do, what I need to do, but just saying, I want to live centered in God's grace and in God's love and see what he is going to do with that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, we can find encouragement and we can find uh, the truth of your promise in in passages of scripture like this that uh, recount for us a very historical moment, but a moment where nonetheless you met them and you brought back joy. You indeed restored and showed indeed that your promises are true, that you will always be with us and you will guide us and you will see, see, see us through seasons that feel like exile. And Heavenly Father, I thank you again that uh, you're the God who has always loved us. It's my hope and it's my prayer that we will turn to you as the sole foundation and source of our strength and that we will find that you are with us even when others around us cast doubt or make things difficult. But Heavenly Father, I hope that through it all, we'd be encouraged, strengthened, and emboldened by your love and your grace in our life. That indeed, our joy in you would strengthen us through it all. Draw us closer to you. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be the disciples you've called us to be. Amen, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you as you serve Him today.